pays pals, pay pals, pay interviews, awesome people who happen to be his pals, pay pals. Are you from Tennessee? Because you are the only 10 I see. Hey, you are listening to PayPal's, and today I am interviewing my pal, Juan Ramon Montero. Montero. Juan is one of my pals from Taiwan, and I knew of him before I met him, because I had been using his website for months beforehand. He's the founder of TaiwanNutrition.com, and in more recent years, he and his wife Sylvia are the founders of TrueTarol.com, which is a plant-based nutrition company based in Taipei. He has also been in Taiwan since his university days and speaks fluent Chinese. But like most of my pals, his work is certainly the least interesting part of him. For example, how about his two-year secretive and spicy relationship with his wife when they first met? Or the poster he saw when he was eight that influenced his entire relationship schema for life? Or how he plans to give his daughter a cultural attachment to Panama? Or his frequent manipulation of his body weight? See what I'm saying? This is my favorite type of conversation because it is inspiring, in the sense that I am literally inspired to action. So, for example, we talk about journaling, better gut health, new thoughts on longevity. It's like a mini Andrew Huberman episode up in here. And I guess that's because, above all things, Juan is a tinkerer and he doesn't really settle. He is, as I've called him, the growth mindset in human or hombre form. In this episode, we talk about how to instill curiosity and increase input in a person, the defensive nature of Panamanian society, the upcoming role of pickleball in his marriage, and he puts me in my place about gut health and sleep habits. Thanks, Juan. Hey, pals! What did you think of our buddy Mark's speech? Oh, Mark is amazing. Like, I didn't know it, yeah. <laughs> that dude is like such an inspiration for me personally, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Well, you've seen him like from zero, right? I've seen him from like, I was sitting at the table when he was talking about starting his Kickstarter campaign. And people were doubting about him. I have heard like people like, oh, you know, like you need to sell at least like 2,000, 3,000 masks if you want to get your money back from that campaign. Yeah. But you know, Mark is always extremely focused guy. When he was sharing about this idea, I was like, you know, that sounds like really solid idea. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to be such a big thing. And I sometimes I will ask him like, Mark, do you, <laughs> you sure? do, like, do you know like you are doing like really, really good. And he's like, you know, I never thought like masks, sleeping masks, yeah. were going to be that big. Yeah. I don't know. I think you seem to sleep better than me, but like I'm like his direct customer. I don't know your history with sleeping issues, but like ever since I was like a teenager, I've had a ton of sleeping issues. So I totally immediately understood that like this is a massive market. There's massive, there's billions of dollars. There's billions of R&D going into this because people just can't sleep. And like, you know, it's actually a genetic thing. I later found out, this is from my dad, and I I don't know, maybe he made this shit up, but it's like there's people that don't sleep well, and then there's people that sleep well, right? There's people that like once their head hits the pillow, they're out, right? And then so genetically, it's like you need both of these types of phenotypes in the population because one of them is going to like prevent everyone from getting killed, right? <laughs> yeah. by, by a lion or something. And then the other one will be like, okay, cool, I feel fine, I slept, and I'm going to go hunt and gather or something. So anyway, I, man, it's a huge market. So the thing about me, it's like it's totally opposite. Oh, you're the one that's going to get killed. Probably, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I sleep like, I've always had like this really deep sleep. I've, yeah, I, I sleep like, like a rock. I remember in Panama, we have like this, when you were in kindergarten, you have two shifts, the morning shift 
and the shifts. afternoon shift. Shifts. Oh, like yeah. two sessions. Yeah, two class? sessions. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And they had to register me in the afternoon one because I was like having <laughs> a lot of problems to wake up early. Oh, wow. So I've always also associated sleeping and waking up early with success. Yeah. The 5 a.m. club. I see that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And since I was a kid, I can notice that, you know, the world moves at that time, you know, it does. really early. It really does. Both of my siblings, my sister and my brother, they are really good in school. Like they were high performance. Yeah. And now they are doing really good as well. Both of them, they wake up pretty early. Yeah. And me, I'm the one always waking up super late. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I wasn't that I wasn't doing that great in school to be honest. Yeah. So that was something that I've always kind of bothered me. It's like why I cannot wake up early. And for many years I always thought like, you know, there is something wrong in me. Yeah. Why do I need to sleep eight hours, nine hours? And eventually I started noticing like a lot of people it's complaining about that they cannot sleep. Yeah. You know, Mark, all his business is all about like helping people to sleep yeah. better. Hey, wait, can we can we talk about something real quick? Remember that one time we went camping together yeah. in Shinzu and then he had like like our <laughs> he had like this noise machine. Yeah, yeah. That was like <laughs> why noise was, machine? Yeah, that was like playing super loudly, like everyone in every single tent could hear it. And it was just also this one fucking guy could sleep. And then he brought like a he didn't really have a sleeping pad. He brought like a cot or something like that, like a bed. Yeah, yeah, like, like a yeah. bed too. It's like this guy is really optimizing for his. Yeah, sleep. He's, yeah, yeah. He's the uh, you know he is both uh, the president and a member of his club basically. Anyway, go on, yeah. go on. So going back to like man's sleep and, yeah, the, yeah. and he's, when I wore man's sleep for the first time, I slept like twelve hours. Oh god. Yeah, and then I'm like, I cannot sleep with this because it's going to dangerous it's too dangerous for me <laughs> yeah and in bangkok when yeah. i went to the conference i was staying with daniel oh right yeah and i had to tell him you know i even told you like i, I stay at your place i told you just leave the curtains open yeah yeah i need this sunlight to wake <laughs> me up otherwise yeah. i will sleep like for 12 hours oh, straight amazing. no problem amazing yeah. yeah so after all these years i started embracing that you know i love my sleep yeah. Yeah. I love it so much. And I go to bed knowing that I'm going to have like eight hours, nine hours deep sleep. Yeah. And I will feel like really good in the morning. I will feel, well, probably like eight, nine a.m. when I wake up. Pretty good. I feel like, oh my gosh, energized yeah. and ready to kick. You don't know how it is to go to bed and think, I hope I get six and a half or seven. I hope I can fall asleep within half an hour. And I hope I don't feel terrible tomorrow. You know, um, my my parents were here in Taiwan a few months ago. Yeah, and my father has these sleeping issues that he he only sleep five hours in total, and he only sleep for two hours in every cycle. So he will sleep for two hours. What? Yeah, and he will wake up. Oh. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take you to the doctor because I want to check on this. And you know, Taiwan is probably like sure. the top one or top two for healthcare. Yeah. And I took him there and they check him everything. He's fine. He's okay. He's one of these persons that they will, he will complain to me. It's like, I can only sleep five hours. Yeah. yeah. And I'm that's like, tough. okay, I, that's like, I cannot imagine living my life no. with only five hours sleep. You got your mom's genes for that. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. There is a gene there. And I you know, my so. daughter, yeah. she also sleeps a lot. 
Well, yeah. What about Sylvia? She also sleeps a lot. Yeah. But not as much as me. Your whole family's dead, man. (laughs) That's That's why. That's why we need to rely on you guys. Yeah, rely on us. Just perpetually cranky people. Yep. That's God. It's terrible. It's terrible. I don't know. I thought you were kind of optimizing for sleep a lot. I guess you don't need to. You need to optimize to wake up. But I also think of you as a very optimized person, and I think you're doing a lot of other things for your health, probably right. That's correct. Yeah, I have this little goal. I call it like my 120 years project. Okay. Yeah. So that's how many years I want to live. And I want mm-hmm. to live healthily and feeling good, you know. Okay. So some of the changes that I have been doing throughout the years is like my diet. Yeah. Making yeah. sure that I'm not like overeating, that I'm not eating a lot of like junk. I don't eat junk food at all. Yeah. It's like McDonald's or KFC or stuff like that. Mm. It's like really difficult for me to... Do you crave it? Mm, not really. Okay. I crave pizza for some reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like, right uh, yeah, like hamburgers from McDonald's, I, that's not my thing. What about like candy or just like sugar? No. Really? I don't crave sugars. Wow. Yeah. That's okay. like, I know that's quite interesting because my wife... <laughs> she likes snacks. Yeah. So in my house, we always have snacks. Okay. And I remember this time when my brother Adrian visited from the US. Um, he was staying at my place and he was so happy because he kept telling me like, you know, like it's so cool to come to your place and you always have snacks all over the place. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you can eat them all. I, I'm not eating them. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. My brother, he's a foodie as well. He he loves to snack around. Well, good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So diet. I guess in the time that I've known you, you've also like lost a lot of weight, like twice, right? Yeah. What, what the <laughs> hell happened? I assume intentional. Yeah, that's correct. Those were intentional things. So um, the first time that you saw my weight loss, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was probably like two years, uh, four years ago. Yeah, something. And I was just like, you know, I, I want to get ready before my daughter borns. Okay. Yeah. So I know that she's going to require a lot of energy and I need to be like physically prepared for receiving her. Mm. So I just decided like, you know, I want to be in a better shape. I want to lose some weight. Okay. And, you know, it's not that I was like super fat or overweight, but it's just yeah. like my body structure is really slim. Mm. And when I lose weight, it's like, you know, it's like pretty noticeable, pretty oh, obvious. It's like, oh my obvious. gosh, it looks so skinny. Yeah. But that's my body structure and and it's fine. Yeah. So the second time happens, like my parents came to Taiwan last year and they stay here for six months. Yeah. And we were eating out every single day. <laughs> okay. And I was like living the life, to be honest. So yeah. I was taking them to multiple restaurants, you know, like restaurants here in Taiwan, they're okay. amazing. Yeah, the all carbs, all oil, little protein, <laughs> but, but <laughs> delicious. Yeah. yeah, a lot of white rice, a oh lot of- Oh my God. S- you know, starch and starch just, and it just feels good, you know. So I keep eating, keep eating. And to the point that I was like 70 kilograms. So what what were you originally? Uh, I was like 65. Oh shit. And that was like, okay. Yeah. And then like the day that they left, I'm like, okay, it's time to go back to the diet. Uh, Okay. And that was like really extreme one because I went from 70 to 60. 70 to 60? Yeah. In four months. Whoa. Yeah. That's, so was that too much for you? Uh, I don't think so, but I, I feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. 
but like my wife is the one that is always like, oh my gosh, you look like a skull now. It's like, you're so skinny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But yeah, she got used to it and yeah, now it's, it's fine. Now, yeah. what are you sitting at now? Uh, 63, 64, because I just came back from Bangkok and again, oh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> so they left and then I went to the gym for four months. I did all my diet and then my parents came back in September. Yeah. Yeah. So we went to Japan. We had a great time. Yeah. We ate a lot. Japanese food is so delicious. delicious. Yeah. So then I went to Bangkok. We ate a lot there, enjoyed ourselves. And, yeah. and since then, I'm like, you know, I'm, I need to go back to the gym <laughs> or some diet, but yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. It'll happen. It's, it will happen. I have been playing a lot of tennis. So yeah. tennis is my sport. Okay. Um, yeah. It is my longevity sport. That's how I call it. I feel like you're going to move to pickleball sometime soon, though, huh? So I, I will talk to you about pickleball. <laughs> okay, you got something against it? No, 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 no. I, I really like it. Um, I remember in our last night in Bangkok, we went to dance. Yeah. Yeah. And I really feel connected with my roots. I've been wanting to dance since a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but I've just didn't have the chance to really go for bachata nights and salsa nights. Sure. So we were in Bangkok, we are having this great time. Mm. And I'm like, you know, I, I really wish Sylvia were here and spending this night together dancing. And I said, like, you know what, I'm going back to Taipei and I'm going to tell her I, wanna, I want to dance. I want to go to Bachata Night and cool. I want to take her. I want to do some classes or something like that as a couple activity. Fun. And she really liked the idea. Oh, she did? Yeah, she, she oh, did. Great. But she felt that our levels are totally different. She's like totally a beginner. Well, that's true. And I will be like, you know, more advanced. Mm. And that was fair, you know. I want to true. do an activity that we both enjoy. Okay. So I kept thinking like, okay, what, what else can we do? And ah. we were thinking about everybody in our group. And <laughs> Sylvia mentioned like, oh, what about Toastmasters? You two? Yeah. As a couples yeah. as a couples activity? Yeah. Okay. And I was and I was a little bit like mm. I'm a little doubtful on that. Yeah, I don't I don't think like Toastmaster is also a, <laughs> a good act, a good activity because like we're going to be developing other part of our skills, like maybe like public speaking and yeah. you know right. dancing is something more just fun, enjoy each other, right? Yes. And eventually I thought like, okay, what about Pickleball. What about it? Yeah. Yeah. True. I think it's a great sport. Mm. So you have like all these uh, health benefits. Yeah. Second, you have both of us, like, we've never played pickleball before. So like we're starting from scratch. Well, I play tennis. Yeah. So. I know. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's like something new to learn together from the research part, from it's like traveling together. Oh, yeah. You know, right. If you've been to a country and you decide to take your couple, the experience might be a little bit different because she will feel like, oh, I'm relying on you to take me everywhere, show mm. me the city and explore all these things that you already know. Right. But if you decide for a destination that none of you have been, yeah, then both of you are involved in to this experience. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like picking pickleball in this occasion for... Okay as a couple activity is a great opportunity for us to connect in a different way mm, okay. and work out, you know. It's it's cardio, yeah. Yeah. And people get really into it. I think <laughs> it's going to, it, it's really popular in the US and in Taiwan it's, yeah. it's is growing it? really fast. Same in Bangkok, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think it's really easy to pick up. Yeah, That's it is. the main thing. Because yeah. if you play tennis, you need to spend at least like four or five months to yeah. really know like, okay, I can pass the ball. Yeah, right. And that can be really frustrating. Like they don't want to wait too long for playing this. Yeah. We live in a society that they don't want to wait, you know? Of course. Yeah, yeah. we want a date. You go for Tinder. Uh, you want a video. You go for TikTok. It's like 15 True. seconds. Yeah. True. So it's like that. We don't want to wait anymore. Yeah, I think also the tennis court is like, it's kind of big. It's it's not small. It's not small. And then I played for a few times in Bangkok at this place called Asok Sports Club, ASC. I was just getting dominated by these like 60-year-olds. They didn't even <laughs> have to move. They're like in one, like a two feet radius and they were just like hitting it all across and like spinning it and like hitting it in my face. It's like amazing. So it ages well also. So it's that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, I feel like it's going to be the new golf in some way. I feel. Anyway. Okay, so you have tennis as your routine. Hey, what do you think about this Brian Johnson blueprint guy? I like him. I like to follow him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really interesting what he's doing. Yeah. I have read like the blueprint that he published online. You did? Yeah, yeah. Holy cow. So yeah. it's really interesting. I know like he recently launched its own olive oil. Yeah, right. And <laughs> I also watch a documentary about the olive oil mafia. Oh, okay. Yeah. And apparently we have never had like real olive oil. I don't even know what that sentence means. Yeah. It seems that like olive oil tastes so good. It's like so delicious in comparison to whatever olive oil that you have ever tasted. So in the market right now, pretty much what we're having is like a fake olive oil. Okay. Yeah, because Italian mafia is the one controlling all these things. Okay. And then they are basically reusing old olive oil or simply just using other type of oils. They are packing oh. them and then they are selling to you as if they are original olive oil. Okay. So I, I want to give it a try to his olive oil. <laughs> okay, right. To right, see right. how it, it tastes. Okay. He is a near billionaire. He's like, this guy's trying to be Bruce Wayne or something, you know? Yeah. So maybe he can break the Italian mafia. Yeah. He Probably. can be the one. Maybe. The reason I also bring him up is because his big thing is he tries to optimize for sleep as well. Yes. And I was just thinking, man, you just... <laughs> He's one of the persons that has like 100% uh, sleep quality. Yeah. Yeah. He's using right. one of these bands for tracking all his sleeping. Yeah. And yeah. I think the first time I met you was at some mutual friend's birthday party, birthday lunch. And then I think the only thing that I knew was that you were doing Tower Nutrition yeah. Dot com. Yes. I was like, hey, I bought something from there before. Yeah, that's correct. We actually met in a farewell party dinner. What? Oh, yeah. for B. Yes. All right. Did we talk? Yes, we did. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did talk there, um, chat a little bit. Okay. Uh, it was a nice farewell party celebration. Mm -hmm. And then the second time we met, I think it was... Um, Jason's birthday, no? Someone's birthday. No. Really? I remember we went to eat, I think it was like Hakka food in Dongben. That was the second time? Yeah. Okay. And okay. it was on the second floor. And that was the first time I remember I was like engaging with you. Oh, James Kitchen. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sit on the ground, right? Yes, exactly yeah. there. Yeah, that place is great. Yeah. And that's where I was able to, you know, know a little bit more about you. You were talking about that uh, you recently had a, a productivity coach. 
or a business coach oh, you were right. sharing your experience like how you were doing before and after this coach yeah and how he helped you to structure and you know sop all your business and yeah you know probably like 10x your current revenue level something like that well maybe not maybe not the revenue but he 10x my free time yeah 10x so he made me into what, what we would call a time billionaire a time billionaire yeah yeah which is you know probably more important than the money so yeah yeah okay so that's the first time we met and then the other thing i knew about you was that you're from panama so yes panama i came here to taiwan as a scholarship holder this is uh for university i guess right? yeah for university yeah and then i decided that you know like the way that i structured that university chapter of my life was like mm. okay uh, i was studying university in panama i was on the my third year of engineering school but i always knew that i wanted to go abroad i wanted to learn a different language i wanted to explore a different culture so i kept applying for these scholarships opportunities okay. i got a couple of opportunities but they were not like full scholarships and my parents were not able to afford like if it's not a full scholarship okay so luckily i got the one from taiwan and I was happy. I was happy here. I, I knew I was like in the right place. Uh, I didn't want to learn Chinese. I thought it was going to be like four years trip. And yeah, what's the why, point, right? what was the point of learning Chinese? Well. But in my second week, I was like, wow, you really need to learn Chinese if you want to understand this culture, yeah. if you want to make friends. And one of the things I was like concerned was like, you know, if you go back to Panama, you tell people like, I was in Taiwan for four years. The first thing they are going to ask you is like, oh, do you speak Chinese? That's true. And yeah, it's like, I don't want to be that guy that says, no, oh, no, I, I don't speak Chinese. I, I just study in <laughs> yeah. English. I'm just... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, no, no way. And yeah. I think like investing in my Chinese was one of the best decisions. Yeah, um, for sure. Because uh, it opens the doors. It helps me to meet a lot of new friends, helps yeah. me to understand more about the culture. Yeah. For the first three years, I actually put a lot of efforts in my studies because I wanted to be free on my last year so I can try new things. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's what I did. And in my last year, I was like, okay, now I want to build something. So I give it a try and I created the website taiwannutrition.com for oh. importing uh, sports supplements. And I just can't believe that that URL or that domain was available. And like, what was the competition like at that time? Nothing? Pretty, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Pretty much like... Zero competition. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I was doing like really good. I, I I felt that that was like a really good niche to to start with. Yeah. And eventually like, you know, four or six years after that, mm -hmm. like a lot of people started jumping in and yeah. I was like, okay, it's time to move on. And that's why I created like <laughs> trutoral.com. Yeah. I, I decided to go for my own brand. Yeah. And now we are doing like good as well. So your own brand is a pea protein, right? It's not a pea protein. That's the first product. Oh, okay. So the whole concept of the brand is allergy-free supplements. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that my wife and I have been learning throughout the years is like the importance of the quality of the food that you are intaking every single day. And my wife, for many years, she has been having like all these flatulence or digestive issues. And she didn't know why. She thought it mm. was totally normal, you know? Yeah. And... Until one time we were like, oh, you know what? We need to start being more selective with the things that we are eating. Yeah. And we point out like, you know, lactose is actually killing your gut. Yeah. 
And yeah, she stopped drinking milk pretty much because in Taiwan, milk is everywhere. Yeah. And you have like all these milk tea stores and yeah. it's so delicious, really <laughs> addictive. Yeah. And you never thought about like, okay, milk is actually hurting me, but it did. Yeah. And that's why we decided to create something around that concept of, you know, allergy-free, mm. lactose-free, gluten-free, and all these allergies. Because when I was a kid, I also had like a lot of allergies. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. How about you? Do you have any allergies? Uh, I'm lactose intolerant. You're lactose intolerant? You see? Yeah. yeah. So when I take a lot of this whey protein powder, it's just like, and then I'm like farting later at night. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. why. <laughs> That's the <laughs> way. That's why. That's the way. Actually, I don't know if you've experienced this. I know, you know, you said you had a lot as a kid, but I didn't have any as a kid. I got it. My stomach's getting more and more sensitive as I'm getting older. You need to check what are you eating. Yeah. What do you think? Whey protein. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, we already know about this. It's like, oh, we are sensitive to lactose, yeah. right? Yeah. But are you actively doing something to, you know, remove milk from your diet? I mean, other than avoiding it and just substituting with like a oat, oat milk or soy milk, that's about it. But yeah. you still go for whey, whey as your protein yeah. powder. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's like... Yeah, it's you know, just, these yeah. quantities are killing your your stomach. And that's the thing, it's like with all these allergies, we don't actually see them. Like, like cause we are all ha developing all these inflammations inside our gut. Mm -hmm. And we don't visually notice them. So we think that we're doing okay, that nothing is going on there. But actually, like, you know, your body's hurting. And yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. like you're not getting younger. Yeah. So that means your machine is getting older. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And if you're not feeding the machine correctly, right. it's going to give you more issues in the in the future. That's so true. This is like my Google searches now have like gut health in them and they have like irritable bowel syndrome <laughs> in them. Yeah. And then they also have things like how to recover from an injury more quickly or how to treat XYZ because when you're younger... It's like your Wolverine. The body just heals itself. Yep. But that doesn't happen past, I don't know, past 30 maybe? Yeah. It's just a different beast. You like to drink a lot of Coke. Diet Coke. Right? Diet Coke. <laughs> Diet Coke. <laughs> Diet Coke. Okay, what, what, what am I doing? What should I substitute it with? Just like soda water. Soda water. Yeah. It's like Coke is, is just bad. It's just like sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, it, actually it's worse than sugar. It's it's substitute fake sugar. Yeah, it's substitute <laughs> fake sugar. It has a lot of chemicals and yeah, yeah. It's and people know about this. It's true, but it's difficult to quit that habit. That's very true. Yeah, I mean, in, in some sense, it's like similar. Oh God, is it similar? It is a little bit similar to smoking, right? In some sense, it's like we know that there's something better to do, and like if we really thought about it, we would be like, oh, we shouldn't do this, but we still. But we just still do it. You know, yesterday I was uh, waiting for the bus, yeah. and I noticed in the in the bus stop they had this package of cigarettes, mm. and mm. the packaging of a cigarette they they designed it really horrible. They oh, will, in Taiwan, right? Yeah, they yeah. would put like these, uh, you know, lungs and cancer and stuff like that. It looks like really terrible. Yeah. But still, like people, yeah, they don't care. They don't will care. go and they will have one two one package a day something like that like yeah so i don't i don't know like it's difficult to quit those habits i guess 
Yeah, I you know obviously there's differences with smoking because smoking has an addictive element in nicotine and all those things and the addiction of looking cool. But um, I think for food, it's like I just this is just not something you think about. It's not an intentional thing for most people. It's like, yeah, I want something tasty. Maybe I want something healthy, and then I want something like that fills me up. Right? That's what most people think. Oh, and not too expensive.、Mm-hmm. I think one, two, three, four, and then you have the stuff that's like. But is this good for me? You know, is it actually something that's going to make my stomach function worse? Is it is gut health even a consideration? Because people don't even me. I'm talking about me. I don't even know that much about gut health. In in many other aspects of my life, I'm like this optimized person, right? Yeah. So what am I doing here? <laughs> How do you change a habit? You just do it consistently. You force yourself to do it consistently. Yeah. Is that what you're telling me to do? I'm just going to tell you like some <laughs> experiences that I have in changing some habits. Okay, and please. So I like、uh, social media. To be honest, I think it's like really cool. Yeah. To get that dopamine from time to time.、Mm. But、uh, I have also noticed that when you do it every day and you you are like constantly on Facebook, TikTok, and like you know these applications, they are built for you to have this dopamine rush. Yeah. Every single time that you get a message, that you see like a, a belt, that something is flashing around, and me as a marketer, I you know try to understand these things how they work in your brain.、Mm-hmm. So I knew like you know I I don't want to be caught in this like forever, but it's difficult. It's、yeah. difficult to quit. To yeah, be honest, it is. And I try many things, many tools until I found some、uh, an application that's called One Sec. One sec. Yeah. Okay. And this application pretty much、um, blocks you, or like kind of stop you, or slow you down before you open one of these social media apps. So every time I open Facebook,、uh, it will try to calm me down by either asking me to wait like maybe ten seconds and make sure like, oh, is this what you want to do? Oh,、uh, wow. Like, so I pretty like it, and it has been the only application that stick to me for. All this time, and it has helping me a lot. Now, something that I've always wanted to work on is my journaling.、Mm. I have been doing journaling for a couple of years, but it's always the same story. I start the journal, and it will go pretty good for the first month.、Yeah. But then the <laughs> second month is like something happens, and I don't keep doing it. Has this happened to you? Every you single time.、Person? I'm a journal person in that I have a bunch of journals that I've started. Yeah, yeah, it goes well for about one or two weeks for me, and then I don't know. Then it starts to feel like a chore, actually. Yes, it starts feeling like a chore. It starts feeling like,、uh, why should I do this? And all this is it just doesn't happen naturally. Yeah,、it、feels forced, right? Right. And this application, one sec, they did something that I really like. So one of the options is that every time that you try to open. One of these social media apps, the first thing in the morning, they will ask you to journal. Yeah, that's good. And you can select the questions that you would like to journal about. Yeah. And this has helped me a lot.、Mm. So I have been journaling for ninety days straight, nonstop,、mm. morning and evening. And this is the first time I have been able to achieve this type of commitment to journaling, and I feel really happy. And this is called、um, habit stacking. It is from、um, oh, yeah, right. the Atomic Habit book. Right. So pretty much like you're anchoring one habit that you already have. In my case, it's like probably it's going to be like opening social media every day from time to time. 
And if you want to open this application, the Facebook or whatever other uh, social media app, then you are forced also to, you know, complete your journal. And I like that because it That's has cool. given me a lot of consistency in my journaling. What have you figured out about yourself from your journaling? That I really love my life. Hey. Yes. I think that like at the beginning of this year, I was having a lot of doubts for things going around my life. And I was experiencing a lot of challenges. But, you know, like uh, journaling have found out like, oh, first, like I really love my life. You know, I am really, I'm a happy person, like deep inside me. I'm really like really beautiful, really nice. Mm -hmm. And also like what I have built, it's meaningful. So being business, family, team, yeah, friends, friends. circle. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to do because you come here as a, as a foreigner, you know, a long time ago, but you still, you don't have roots here. I mean, you do now, but you just started from zero and it's like, it's cool to look around and be like, I did this. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, we're in a really lucky and privileged position to see around and see like, okay, after all these years, you, you did good, you know, <laughs> it doesn't happen to everyone. It doesn't. Even some people work much harder than we do. Yeah. Yeah. So there's always, I personally think there's always an element of luck involved. I also believe so. Yeah. yeah. It's like even meeting people, you know. That's luck, right? That's luck. Yeah. It really is. Uh, connecting with the right person can really change your life. What do you call that in Chinese? Yuanfen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So on that on that note, what about uh, you know you and Sylvia? I I think a lot of people would agree that hey, from the outside, it looks like a very nice and ideal and supportive and loving uh, relationship. So I was always interested in asking more about that. So this is a good time to do that. Okay. Um, want to tell the story of how you guys met and how she was the hot new thing that you <laughs> put your claim on. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so we meet when I was in university, and yeah. she was one of the project managers. Right. And for some reason, I, well, not for some reason, it was an obvious reason. She's like so beautiful, so so pretty and smart there, yeah. like helping all the students. Like that caused my, my attention. Yeah. Makes me feel like really attracted to her. Yeah. And yeah, eventually, like we had to kind of like, date under the radar because she was the staff in the university oh. and I was a student and here in Taiwan I don't know if in the US is this is like okay no it's not okay like, <laughs> it's not, not okay. okay anywhere <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's like we had to date on the radar for a couple of years until couple of years yeah so she just or you both just had to pretend to be single for two years a couple of years yes oh my gosh okay yeah. But that was okay because it helps the the relationship a lot. Oh, because it's like it's, secretive and sexy yeah, it's and like, like forbidden. Kind of spice up the, the yeah. relationship, and I I really like it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. So then that's how you guys met, and then you've been together how long now? It's like over ten years already. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And you just had your first daughter. Yes, um, I'm really happy with Alicia. She's she's the the light of my life. Yeah. Yeah. That girl looks like a doll. Yeah, she's really beautiful. She yeah. she has big eyes and yeah. a beautiful smile. Kind of like Dora the Explorer, right? When she does pigtails. 
Mm, okay, just I don't so. think so. Okay. Yeah, she looks more like Boo from Monster Inc. <gasps> oh yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's a dead ringer. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. And then, so from what I understand is that you guys also. I mean, man, 10 years is a long time. It's impossible to not grow together and do things together. But you have grown a lot together and done a lot together because she is my business partner. Oh my god! Yeah, that's the part that is. I mean, you don't hear many positive stories about that, right? Yeah, I think like from all these years, I've only met like one or two couples working together, like happily. <laughs> happily, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult to find a business partner. Yes. And it's like probably the same level as finding like a life partner. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. What made you decide to start it with her instead of just being like, okay, this is my thing. We can we can keep our our things separate, and then we can maybe protect the relationship from this a little bit. I think that was the original plan. The okay. original plan was like, okay, just help me a little bit to build the business, uh. and after I get some traction, I can hire some people. But I found out that I really like to work with her. Yeah. Yeah. I found okay. out that she's super smart, that she's uh, really proactive, and that we make a great team. Mm. Yeah. And because I'm always the one that's having like all these ideas, like thinking like, oh, what we can do, and like trying to push it forward. And she's the one like, you know, pointing out the small details. Like, oh, you need to pay attention to to this part. You know, you need to... to <laughs> She kind of ground me. Yeah, okay. At I some get it. point. So that balance is perfect for our relationship, for the business, for whatever project that we're doing together. Yeah. And I'm really happy and lucky to find someone like that, that we are growing together, that we are developing our skills together. None of us came from like business families. No. Uh, no. So my parents, they are both accountants. Okay. Um, my father-in-law used to work for the post office. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much. It's like really humble backgrounds. That's just corp. I don't think you even think you would call that corporate. That's yeah. just humble. Yeah. Being that you both had pretty humble backgrounds, it's, I don't know, it's impressive because you have to do a lot of self-learning to get to this point. So was there a specific way that you guys did that together or separately? Yeah. Like at the very beginning when we started, cooperating as business partners the relationship was actually pretty tough yeah yeah sure because on one side you had me like trying to build this big business coming up like with all the ideas and thinking that uh, why are we we're moving so slow right and on mm. the second part it's like you know someone that was still working full time and helping me in the evening while we were shipping the products by ourselves like a, so it's like yeah. we were both really tired. We were, it was a lot of stress. Like we were, we didn't have the support community that we have right now. We didn't know about the DC and I wasn't reading too many books by that time neither. Yeah. So it was pretty tough. It was pretty tough for our relationship. And eventually I, I felt like, you know, if we want this to work, like the relationship and the business part, we need to start working together, right? Just and like full on, 100%. Yes. So oh, you, dove, you dove into it. Yes. Wow. So I told her like, you know, one of the first steps was like, okay, you need to quit your job and you need to work here full time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The second thing was like, and we need to set some boundaries here. Mm. It's like the business 
there is always going to be problems. There are always going to be a lot of work to do there. But we cannot run the business if the relationship is not in a good and stable position. Right. Right. So that's where we decided, like, you know, okay, when then we need to start working a bit on our relationship every single day. So the way that we did that is like educating ourselves. So in order for us to reach our business goals and the relationship goals, we had to work together. Yeah. And the way that we started doing it was like first improving a lot of our communication. Okay. One of the things is that we are both communicating in our second language. So English for her and English for me. Right. And we accepted that we were going to have a lot of miscommunication issues because we will have uh, communication problems. We might express things in a different way. And we just simply probably were tired and like we couldn't process the information that fast. Mm. So every time that we were going into an argument or there was some type of issues that we needed to discuss, we will take walks. We will go out. We'll say, okay, we need to discuss about these parts. And we will just walk a little bit and try to come up with a solution while we were walking. Okay. Yeah. So you both had humble beginnings and then you've gotten to some level of success where we are sitting in your office right now, which yeah. looks like it can have like 20 people or something. So how did you get to that point? I think like we were lucky to both come from humble backgrounds because it allowed us to kind of design the way that we wanted to build our future. Mm. Yeah. In this case, a business, because that was the main thing that the main project that we were working on, you know, the relationship, it was fine, but it was like that drive of building something unique here in Taiwan. The one that kept us like, you know, motivated every single day to execute new things. So uh, I think it was a lot of trial and error because by that time we didn't have any community that we were able to reach out and looking for support and looking for, for knowledge. So a lot of things is like, let's give it a try to, to this new activity or this new product. And from there, like, see if it's going to work or not. We didn't have a plan. If I will lie to you if I say, like, oh, we knew exactly that by the first year we were going to reach like half million. Mm. Yeah, we didn't know anything of those stuff. For me, it was mainly a project for me to stay in Taiwan. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was like the whole purpose of these things. I had this idea that I, by my fourth year, I wanted to try something really unique. And that's why I, I built the e-commerce stores. Yeah. yeah. Sylvia was there always supporting me. And then in that process, I found out like, oh my gosh, this girl is so smart. Yeah. It's so smart. And she didn't even know about this. And that surprises me a lot. Why? Because there is a lot of people in this world that they go every single day to work without knowing how smart they are. Mm. Because society told them that they are not smart. And sadly, like I've noticed that in the Taiwanese society, a lot of people doesn't feel that they can achieve big things. Has it happened to you? Like, Have you met a lot of people that you feel like they are really smart, they are really unique with a unique vision, but they simply don't, don't believe themselves I think uh, well it's a little bit different for me because I grew up in the US so on the other hand you have people who think they are too smart yeah. so there's something there but I do know what you mean because this happens in every country I've been to it's just like you meet someone and you have this feeling that like 
it doesn't matter what job they're doing or it doesn't matter where you meet them, but it's just like, oh, you have a lot of horsepower that you're not using. It's yeah. that, that's the feeling that I have. And that happens everywhere. And I, I do think there's a cultural element to it here because it's like you got to fit in, right? Yes. But the way to fit in here is to have an equally bad job as everyone else here. Yes. In an equally bad economy. So it's like, it's a bit, it's a bit self-defeating, I think. So that was one of the first thing I told to Sylvia. It's like, you know, you have a lot in you. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. You just need to unlock it. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember one time she asked me about like, okay, Juan, like you always come up with these ideas. How come you, you're always bringing up these new things? What do I need to do to create my own ideas? Mm. So I told her like, you know, give me two days, give me a couple of days to think about this because it's true. It's like, by that time I didn't know like how come I, I was yeah. able to create ideas on spot right. and identify some problems and some solutions. Right. And yeah, two days passed and I came back to her and I told her, you know, uh, I think there are two things that you need to do if you want to come up with your own ideas. The first one is like, you need more input. So what do I mean? It's like, you need to consume more material. It's like, you need to read more. You need to watch documentaries. You need to observe what's happening around. That doesn't mean that you need to learn it immediately. It means that you're just putting information, good, high quality information in your brain that at some point, you are going to access to it. The second thing is like you need to be curious. You need to ask why. You need to try to understand how things work. And having these two things are going to help you a lot to come up with your own ideas. Mm. How do you do those? Me? Anyone. I like to read. Okay. I like to observe my world, my surroundings. Yeah. yeah. I like to watch documentaries yeah. and I like to ask a lot of questions. And I think that uh, some societies, they tend not to ask too many questions out of respect, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. Or a lot of people in general, they, they don't want to feel vulnerable or maybe they don't want to look bad in front of someone. Because there is this tendency or this connotation that sometimes when you ask too many questions, probably it reflects as you are not that smart. Yeah. And then people get like really shy and then they will go and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this. Do you really know? Do you? <laughs> like, do you really understand the problem? Like, can right. you break it down? Right. Yeah. And I told her those things, you know, like these are the two things that you need to do. Now, a few years after. Yeah. I started to read another book. It's called Limitless from Limitless. Um, from Quick. Robert Quick or something Quick. Yeah, Jim some, Quick. Jim Quick. Uh, yeah. 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 And he mentioned something similar, like to these things, but he added a third element, hmm. and I felt like really happy to hear that element. He said, like, adding emotions when you are learning something new. It's always going to help you to create long-lasting memories. And I'm like, wow, this is so true. It's like, if we go back in time and we try to remember whatever event that happens many years ago, you might not remember clearly what happened, but you will remember how you felt exactly in that point. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense for me. That's like a really cool thing. So now it's not only about like 
having a lot of input and it's not only about being curious, but also, you know, adding the emotional part. Like, how do you feel in that moment? Like when you are reading something, when you are trying to ask those questions so you can lock those new informations in your brain and they will be there forever. Yeah. So you bestowed upon her these three things, which is uh, to have more input, which is to connect your emotions and to uh, have a greater sense of curiosity, right? So what did she... What are the many things she gave you? Oh, she gave me a lot of things, but yeah. I think one of the biggest things that she gave me was be more caring. I think that's the uh, be more caring, be more humble, genuinely love people, mm. not being stingy. Yeah, not being stingy. Yeah, <laughs> not being like crafty neither. That that's like a sneaky and like trying to get something from people right maybe yeah something like that let me tell you about this i try yeah. to to expand more on that so like the panamanian society i think it's more about like being crafty okay you know we live in a really small society yeah. and information is something that you protect at all cost it's like you feel like you have in information a, yeah you feel like you're in competitive advantage if if you keep I some see. information like you don't want to share things you don't want to share the what are you working on? Like I see. the society is too small and everything is like, oh, you need to be crafty. You need to to always take advantage of the situations. I see. Yeah. So when I came to Taiwan, I had that mindset. I had that mindset of like, I, I need to, to take advantage of the situations every time. And if I can save like one or two pennies, I will do it. It always put me in a defensive position rather than in a being generous. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Right. But Silvia was always like, really kind to me and really generous to me. She was always the like, one that supported me, giving me when I was a student. She was the one like paying for stuff. Oh, okay. yeah. So, yeah, right. and I feel like, wow, like, you know, you, this is something that I've never experienced. Yeah. Every time in, I feel in, in Panama, if you do something like that, you are expecting something in exchange. I can kind of relate to this feeling. Or it's like you're a chump, which is that like, you're just doing it and then getting nothing. Stupid. Yeah. yeah something, like something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Getting played. Yeah. Getting played. Yeah. yeah. But Sylvia wasn't like this. She's not. She was always <laughs> like, you know, um, really caring for me. Yeah. And she wasn't only doing that, like for me specifically, but I've seen it like she will do it with her friends and her family members. And she's always like really generous, like beautiful heart. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I, I like that. And she told me, she, she was the one telling me like, hey, you know, like, it is okay to share. It is okay to be generous. Yeah. It is okay to, to not feel that you are losing your competitive advantage. Because like this generosity, these things that we are doing, that's the competitive advantage. Like hmm. you are unique in that way. And I'm like, wow, like that's like really interesting. So from that point, it's like, okay, I started to open more. Like, okay, I, I want to share with you more. I don't mind. I want to treat you like my brother. And my relationship with other people start changing a lot. Of course, you will always find like people that they don't appreciate those things. Yeah. Yeah. But True. it is part. It is part of the growing process. And eventually you will have like more people that really see your true love versus those people that thought like, 
yeah, you are just being played. Right. Right? Yeah. So, right. yeah, she really taught me about this. So, I guess it's、uh, obvious to say that you're going to raise Alicia to be generous. Yes. I think, like, I want to raise Alicia in an environment that she's more like mommy in that part. <laughs>、yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah.、Um, in that part. Okay. In that part. What about the other? What are, what are the traits that you want to pass down from you the most? I think leadership.、Mm, okay. um, Self identity,、uh, Latino identity, something like that, right? Not really like Latino identity, but just like, you know, a lot of people still, like, in their adult stage, they don't understand too much about themselves. That's true. Yeah. They haven't really taken their time to analyze or, like, see what they really like or what they really want.、Mm. They are just, like, floating around and following the trends. And Autopilot. Stuff like that. Autopilot, yeah. yeah. And I want Alicia to develop that like, self identity. She can understand about herself the things that she really l i k e the things that she's capable of. And I think that's really important for me to see in Alicia. Yeah, that's not an Asian upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that will be good.、Yeah. That will make her an emotionally healthy child, which is also not an Asian upbringing. So,、good. how was your upbringing? Like, you know, you are from Taiwanese parents. Yeah. But you grew up in the US?、Um, I would say they did better than most of that generation. And I kind of remember my grandparents. They didn't, I don't think they had that much capacity for that. So if I think my parents didn't have that much capacity, my grandparents had even less. Like, I just remember my dad one time telling me, he was like, you know, I didn't know your grandfather very well. I was like, what? <laughs> he raised you. What does that mean? And then he was just like, your grandfather just didn't talk very much, he worked a lot. And then when he was home, he just <laughs> didn't pay very much attention to me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the type of upbringing they got. So for me, so you have that cultural context, and then you move to America where things are so different. But I was also raised in an enclave of like all, everyone around me was ABC. Okay. I don't know if you knew that. That's Cupertino. It's、I、like, did you know? My high school was like 60, 70% Asian. Okay. In the US. So I didn't. I mean, don't you think it's weird that I don't have an English name? I thought like Pei was like, <laughs> yeah, but like an English. Do you know other ABCs with no English name?、Um, you don't? No. I, I don't hang out with too many <laughs> ABCs either. Yeah, fair. I can understand. But,、uh, you know, they all have names like Jason, Jason.、Uh, Kevin, James, or whatever. But like, I, I didn't realize that it was weird that I didn't have one because it, all my friends were just all these other Taiwanese Brandon. kids. Brandon. Brandon. Yeah, yeah really... Brandon's a very popular one. <laughs> yeah. Brandon, Ryan. Yeah. You know, despite all that, I got a pretty good dose of being independent and free. And my parents did not give me that much pressure. Yeah. It was okay for me. How about healthy relationship with parents? Like,、um, I would say that they did their best and it was not that bad. But it was not that great. Okay. <laughs> so I think I'm taking the burden of that on as an adult to try to foster that with them. And it's、uh, been an interesting, interesting challenge and journey. But I think you, you seem to have a pretty great one with your parents. Yeah. And I'm in a really lucky position because、mm. the more people that you know, the more you realize that, oh, this is a really unique scenario. It usually doesn't happen. Like, even within the same family members, that、like、you can have siblings and they don't have the same relationship with their parents like, as you have. True. Yeah. Very true. So, that's something that I want to foster and develop with Alicia, my daughter, 
Yeah. Uh, I want to have a really good relationship with her. Mm. And I've been reading like books about this or at least trying to to understand like, okay, as a father, yeah, you want to have a good relationship with your daughter, but you don't want to, you know, go to the point that you feel like, oh, we are friends, right? Yeah, no, that's not good. <laughs> so it's like, okay, like right now I feel like my parents, they are like really good friends. You can develop that type of relationship. That's, but you're over as an, 30. As an adult, yeah. Right. yeah. But when you are um, a kid, you need to have someone that tells you no and yes, like really clearly. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like the relationship I have with my parents is like really open. I remember when I was a kid, we had this blackboard in my house that we used to play around and do some whatever drawings there. And one time someone posted like this, um, it, it was like a kind of a letter. And it was saying something around like, oh, these are like the stages that you will have with your father in this case. Oh. And there were like many stages. So they were saying like, ah, from zero to five, um, your father is your hero. Yeah. And then like from six to 10, then like, ah, oh, your father is like, I don't know, like really sporty, like your best body, something like that. Yeah. And it will keep like going until like, oh, you like when you're in your 20s, you are like, oh, I don't want to. Like, my father, he's like an old dinosaur. <laughs> he doesn't know things like what's happening here. Yeah. And then when you are in your 30s, you're like, oh, like, oh, my advice. father, he actually knew a lot of stuff. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. And then when you're in your 40s, you were like, oh, I wish I could ask my father more yeah. questions. But right. he's already gone. Yeah, right, right. And that really had a deep impact in me. Yeah. And I felt like, wow, I have this blueprint right here telling me exactly what's going to happen with a relationship uh, with my father. And, you know, I can make a change. And I was like probably like eight years old. And I was having like this, these thoughts already. Oh, God. <laughs> so I took that and I said, this is not going to happen. Yeah. I don't want to go to like 40 years old. And feel like, oh, my dad, he knew a lot of stuff and I never asked him. And now that I want to ask, he's not around. So I was like, no way, this is not going to happen to me. I want to work in that relationship. I really yeah. like, like genuinely from me, I said, I want to change that because of that post that they put it in the blackboard. That you read yeah. when you were eight. And from that point, I was like, okay, like, you know, I want to work on this communication. I want to work wow. on the respect. I wow. want to share my struggles. I want to, because like, you know, they have a lot of information and I believe like what was the paper sharing there. And I felt like, okay, I just go to my parents, ask questions and I will get a lot of knowledge there. How do you put the same motivation into Alicia? I probably will find, and I know gonna, where to find you're that. You're going to get the letter? Yeah, I'm going to get the letter. I'm going to print it. and I'll Put it on her wall? Put it on her wall and see like if that's going to help. Cause, oh, man. Because I think like a lot of um, yeah, these like a healthy relationship with your parents, they come within yourself. Because yeah. like if it's only like, oh, your parents, they are trying to do everything and you don't, you just don't feel it. They think it's not going to work out as in any other relationship. That's true. Yeah. I think... It just, ah, so many people, and this is, this is again going with the cultural thing. So many people here just do not have a healthy relationship with their parents. So that's really going to be doing something different in Asia. 
Because what I've noticed is that there are so many people that have very poor relationship with their parents. And what typically happens is one of two things. Um, the parent tells the kid to do something and the kid is like, okay. And then the kid's unhappy. Or the parent tells the kid to do something and then the kid's like, no. And then the parent's unhappy. So there's just like no compromise there. So it's, it's really going to be doing something different and emotionally healthy that you want to accomplish. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what are the other things you want to instill in your daughter? The Latino culture. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. want her to dance. I want her to sing. I want her to speak Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not easy, to be honest. I, I'm the minority language here in Taiwan. Yeah. So I, that means that all around me, it's like either Chinese or English. So I'm her only source of Spanish. And yeah, that's the only source of like, you know, some Panamanian culture too. And I have been not struggling, but also like really conscious that if I want her to be more involved into the Latino culture, I might need at some point like fly to Panama, stay there for a couple of months, maybe yeah. one year or two years, I don't know. Mm. And try to show her that you also are part of a, a different culture here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is it? I mean, a lot of my friends that were Taiwanese or, you know, ABC, American-born Chinese slash Taiwanese, whatever. Yeah, they have this connection only because they came back to Taiwan every summer to like visit grandparents or whatever. But they stayed for like a month every summer since they were a kid. And you have the other people who didn't come back at all. Zero connection. Zero desire, zero Chinese. They don't even speak, they don't speak Chinese. Oh, how about you? How, how yeah. do you identify yourself from the cultural part? Well, when people usually ask this question, I'll say something like 60% Asian, 40% <laughs> Western. <laughs> But um, what it is, is because I came here when I was 23, which is relatively young. I stayed for a summer, just like three months. I participated in, it was not Love Boat. Love, oh, okay. Yeah, it was not Love Boat. Is it TV show? I, no, it was like uh, or something like that, okay. which means like, you know, it's like returning the, the opportunity for the returning birds or something like okay, that. Okay. And the English is called Taiwan Tech Trek, TTT. So anyway, like I had a really fun summer here with a bunch of other ABCs. And I just, after that, I just really felt connected because that was kind of my first time abroad, like for an extended period of time. I learned My Chinese improved a lot at that time. I really felt connected to where my parents grew up because like every day I was like, oh, that's where my mom went to school or that's where my dad went to school. And I learned, I learned a lot more about my family. I connected with all my relatives here. But, and, you know, obviously I lived here for three years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but if it wasn't for that, no, I don't think I wouldn't have much connection here. I guess you think that one of the keys was coming to Taiwan every summer or like every other summer. I did not do that when oh, I was a kid. Do that. Okay. I only did that when I was 23. Oh, I see. And that was very formative for me because it just makes it like, it turns it from something that's not familiar that you don't relate to into something that like, that's familiar, that you have a very positive association with and that you just enjoy. I see. So yeah, I think you're spot on with, there really needs to be time on the ground there. Yeah, what about, um, you know, Chinese You were having Chinese classes when you were growing up or it was mainly like in your house they would speak Chinese the whole time? Yeah, I didn't really speak Chinese growing up at all. Because you were one of those kids like, oh, I'm 
the yeah. rebel guy, and I'm not going to talk to you in Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> I just no, it's because I just my Chinese was so bad. No, like it's totally understandable. Right. Uh, you know the thing about languages is that um, the kid is always, or the human beings are always going to find the easiest way to communicate. Yeah. And one of the core principles of self identity is like you know the communication quality. If you are not able to communicate your thoughts, yeah, that's really frustrating for the kid or for anyone. Yeah, yeah. So in your case or in anyone's case, I, like you know, I will just choose probably English because it's the easiest way for me to just communicate my thoughts and yeah. the way for you to understand me. Yeah, you will choose that channel. Yeah, even even adults do that, right? Yeah. But just especially kids, they take the path of least resistance, and I just yeah, typical. Like they would speak Chinese to me, and I would answer like. No thanks, mom, or something <laughs> in English. But and they didn't then, yeah. really force you to speak in Chinese, or no. at some points they will just like, oh, we're too tired to force you. And because I know a lot of, uh, well, not a lot of people, but I have some friends. They they grew up also like an international environment, and yeah. they were sent to like Pushipan, yeah, like, cram schools in the U.S. Like, yeah, every Saturday or Sunday, something like that. For Chinese? Yeah, for Chinese only. Damn. I mean, my I don't think my parents could have forced me to do that. Okay. I was too. I'm I'm too American. <laughs> they they wanted an American kid. They got it. Yeah. You can't tell an American kid to do that stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I remember reading one time. I guess you confirmed this later on. Is like when you have a kid like that, you you just try to do this thing called one parent one language, right? That's correct. That's a Opal method, and that's what we are doing at home. Like, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm using Spanish for communicating with Alicia. All the day, all the nights, and Sylvia is using Chinese, and the grandparents are using Taiwanese. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you think is going to happen in like ten years? Like, how does that play out? Um, surely she's not going to be like uh, multilingual parts. Yeah, surely she's not going to be equally quadrilingual, right? Yeah, I think that I will try my best. I really will try to build a strong foundation in Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, and expose her to Spanish um, environments here in Taiwan, either through a nanny, uh, finding a community, mm. uh, flying back to Panama from time to time. Yeah. Yeah, and develop that foundation. My goal is that at least she can read and write in Spanish. You know, I will, I will just try to use my resources for achieving that. I know it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's just going to require a lot of effort. Are there any schools in Taiwan that are like Spanish? Based? Not 100% Spanish. Yeah. No, that no needs way. to be done like to, through like one of the Pushipan, like cram schools. Really? Yeah. Well, that's a bit different. Yeah. And we have like a busy agenda for her because it's not only Spanish. <laughs> I want her to also yeah, right. learn music, play tennis. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fast forward three, no, five years. Yeah. No, six years. What's going to be on her weekly schedule of classes besides, you know, school? Sports. Sports. Yeah. Okay. I want her to get out and move a lot. Even right now, she's like really active. She can climb. She can go around all the parks, run a lot. But I think like one thing that I have noticed here in Taiwan elementary school is that they don't have too many sport activities. Yeah, they do have the recess. They do have like PT class. But it is not like, okay, after classes, we're going to just play basketball, play football, and or do other sport activities. It's like more studies or cram school. So no, I, I don't want Alicia right. to always be like studying a lot. Yeah. 
I prefer that she play around, do some exercise. It's good for everything. It's good for everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the good things about sports is that you, it's going to sound weird, but like you force a kid to do things that they don't want to do in the sense that they gain this as a skill. Yeah. The skill of doing what you don't want to do, that's life. And then I, I don't know, I feel like every day you can, when you're interacting with people, you can just kind of see like what kind of childhood people had. You can be like, okay, this person like can accomplish things because they were forced to at some point and they were like, okay, I'll do it. And then on the other hand, you have people who are like, <laughs> they just crumble. Yeah. Or they just don't want to, it's like, okay, then don't do it. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's like um, sports is something that sticks to you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you grab a kid and teach him how to play football, basketball, or all these things, I probably they are not going to be that great in that sport. But like the principles of stretching, working out, be comfortable sweating, which is like something really curious here. Right. A lot of people is not comfortable with sweating. Have you heard about that? I have not heard about that. Yeah, like there is a lot of people that they don't want to sweat. They feel like, ah, I feel sticky. That's the way that they describe it. So I don't want to sweat. They're just not going to, they're going to freeze? They're not going to move or what? Yeah, they just don't like to work out, period. Oh, Yeah. So being comfortable with like being dirty. Right. That's the same thing, right? It's comfort with, with discomfort. Yes. And I think that builds, you know, resilience and toughness in a, in a person, in a kid. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, that discipline, it helps a lot for any other parts of your life. I personally think that's one of the biggest things that separates people that do what they want to do and the people that don't. Were you playing a lot of sports when you were a kid in the U.S.? Oh, yeah. Right? I think that is more cultural there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I played anything. I, I was playing soccer. I played baseball. I played basketball. played tennis. I was a swimmer for a while. Did all that stuff. And I think it really did me good because I was on organized teams for a long time. Yeah. And like, there's just a certain way that people respond when they're, are used to responding when they're on a team. They're like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. Even if like, maybe I disagree or maybe I don't like this person. It's like, I will do it because I know there's a task at hand and I want to help it. I want to help that task be accomplished and I want to help the team. So I really think it's like an invaluable thing. There's a stereotype and I don't know if it's still true, but it's like these, like the finance institutions, like I, like a Wall Street, iBanks, investment yeah. banks, they want to hire like these elite athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Because they just, they're just going to get shit done. You yeah, tell them like, to do it, they'll be like, okay, I'll stay up all night and do it. That's true. Yeah. It's like, we know that we, we have a goal Yeah. and we want to achieve those things. Right. So we will work really hard for achieving those. And that's just not a habit that everyone has, which is strange. But that's also why I've had my own business for almost 10 years and you yes. are in this large office. Because so. it builds a lot of resilience as well. And in mm. any sport, it's like some, some days you're going to do really good. Some days are going to be like really bad. Yeah. But, and, but so. you still need to show up to practice and yeah. keep working. You still have to show up. Yeah. That's right. Was there something that from your childhood that made you person that you are now a lot of things like i i'm really grateful for what my parents did yeah yeah they exposed us uh, to a lot of activities first of all so um, when we were kids after school we will join whatever club that was available there were i think three main clubs that my parents they really encouraged us to to be part of 
the first one is the tradition Panamanian traditional dance club. Okay. Yeah, so I I have traveled to I think like five countries already to dance Panamanian dance. Oh, that's yeah. cool. I went to uh, Spain, Italy, Costa Rica, Mexico, and when I was in Taiwan, I was also dancing here, and I went to Vietnam. What? Yeah. Oh yeah so that was a really nice. Then the second thing was um, learning instruments. So yeah, we learned how to play piano. Uh, and then that gave us a really strong base for jumping to other instruments. Like uh, I play the French horn. <laughs> yeah, okay. my brother plays the clarinet. Yeah, and my sister is playing the flute. Yeah, yeah, and of course the sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will have like football leagues. We will have basketball leagues, and in my case, it was tennis. Oh wow! So yeah. actually, everything from your childhood is. A- Direct translation into you as an adult. Yes, That's it has a lot cool. of. It has a really, really strong relationship. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is going uh, pretty long, so I think we will have to save the rest for a part two. Probably yes. Nice. Always a pleasure seeing you. No, my pleasure is mine. Okay. Thank you, man. Thank you. Hey, pals!